So uh, this week, our organist, Allison Raymond, uh, suffered a heart attack, a, a, a cardiac event, a cardiomyopathy. Allison is the last person on the planet who should ever have a heart attack. She is healthy. She does the, all this exercise and eats perfect food every day. And uh, lo and behold, she had a heart attack. Um, uh, went to the hospital Monday morning. And uh, she left, I want to say Thursday. I got it right. Um, so she's in recovery. She's, she's just um, taking it easy. We, we were going to stress her out. So she should, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so she's uh, in recovery, and uh, any prayers you can offer for Allison as she recovers are very much welcomed. Any uh, meals, if you would like to bring a, a meal to that family, because she really needs to, to take it easy right now, uh, is, is so well appreciated. Uh, thank you to Lee for jumping in last second. Lee's husband was in the hospital this week, and she still... Uh, came and served us today through music, and so we're incredibly grateful to Lee for saving the day. And uh, we just have so many layers of great people in this church who come together uh, to minister to one another in such uh, profound ways every week, and I'm so thankful for, for everybody. If you can grab your Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16. Uh, Acts is the first book after the Gospels in the New Testament. There are Bibles right there in your pew. I said chapter 16, um, that's not right, it's, uh, or is it right? Yes, it is It is right. My notes here are wrong. Um, Acts chapter 16. While you're turning there, I want to show you some, um, some fun graphs and charts. Some of my fellow guy friends are like really into numbers of like, you know, uh, baseball stats and football, you know, uh, that kind of, not me. I'll, I'll show you the kind of numbers and stats that I'm super into. So if you can pull up the first one. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Curtis up here, uh, weekly ch church, and this is just since 1993, uh, but you can kind of see how the graph like slowly makes its way down, and uh, it, you'll notice that that only goes to, to the year 2020, which uh, since 2000, the pandemic, uh, things have uh, declined even more, uh, and in fact, if it were to go back to, let's say, the 1950s, the chart would be, it would be much higher. Uh, and if you can pull up the next one, this is a this is a really ethereal one. Uh, this is a chart that says uh, it's a it shows the decline of religiosity, and it's kind of an amorphous what that even means. Uh, but you can see that the the amount of religious activity, uh, how that has declined over the years. And so I'm just going to stop for a moment uh, and assume that there's someone here who who doesn't really maybe care about the decline of church. Like, so what? You know, or maybe you uh, have uh, people in your life who kind of, so what about the decline of the church? Maybe it's not a bad thing that less people believe in God or less people are participating in church. I get that. That's, a, that's kind of a, a common uh, kind of worldview. Um, so maybe you don't believe in the afterlife. Maybe you don't believe in the heaven and hell stuff. Well, if that's the case, then so what? if all these charts are going down over the years? Well, as it turns out, um, the consequences of the decline of religious participation are actually pretty bad, okay? So I'm going to show you some more charts and stats and, and geeky number things, so just bear with me for just a moment. All right, I'm going to show you some secular 
scientific studies, all right, that demonstrate what happens to human life when it is set apart from faith and religion. Okay, so you can pull up the next one. This is a state-by-state state, uh, chart. So uh, on the left side uh, is um, life, expect life expectancy goes from left to right. Religiosity, uh, church attendance, goes from bottom to top. So as you can see, state-by-state, uh, state, the more church participation there is in a, in a state, the longer those people live. What in the world? Okay, so the more people go to church in a state, the more the, the life expectancy is expected to be in that state. The next chart. So here's, um, no, no, go back. You, you blew my secret. Oh, I think I'm, I messed up. I messed it up. Okay, there's one that I think got deleted. There's the, the that, that's the one. Okay, my bad, my bad. All right. So, uh, so this one comes from The Economist, okay? Secular scientific study. Uh, deaths of despair, okay? State by state versus the uh, church attendance of state by state, okay? A death of despair is, in, is, is when you commit suicide or you overdose on drugs um, or die of, uh, of alcoholism. Those are deaths of despair, okay? And the more people go to church in a state, the less deaths of despair that occur in that state. So now go backwards. So um, the, the Harvard School of Public Health conducted this one study about the correlation between church attendance and deaths of despair, and they found that uh, men who attended church at least once a week uh, had a 33% reduction in deaths of despair. Okay, they're 33% less, one-third less likely to, to, to die deaths of despair. And for women... 68% decrease, okay, for if they attended church at least once a week. Okay, now go to the next slide, and hopefully this is correct. Okay, so this one's, you probably can't even read that one. Uh, very difficult, but uh, actively religious people tend to be happier. And so the, the, the red dots are people who say, I'm very happy, and I'm, uh, I go to church every week. And then the purple dots to the left or the percentage of people say, I'm very happy and I'm completely unaffiliated for, uh, from religion. And so in every single country, the, 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 the dot of the unaffiliated is smaller than the dot of the people who are very religious. Meaning there's about a 10 point spread. Um, you are much more likely to say, to say, I'm a very happy person if you are going to church at least once a week. And it's country by country. And this is, this is beside the point. But notice how low the United States, that's the circle, the red circle, that's the United States. There are many other happier places than the United States. And what in the world is in the water in Mexico at the top? They're, uh, even their religiously unaffiliated person are twice as likely to be happy as um, us. So I don't know, tacos. Um, the next one, this is the last one, last one. Okay, this is from Baylor. Baylor's kind of, a, this is less secular. There is an inverse relationship between, between sadness or depression and religiosity. Um, so uh, red, the color red is bad. The color blue is good. On the left side, never attend religious service. On the right side, consider themselves very religious. Look at the red bar on the left. Okay, Those are the sad people. On the right, the red bar is 
half as tall. Okay? So, the sociologist Jonathan Haidt said this, and you can pull that down. Surveys have long shown, and this is all like an appeal to a secular mindset right now, okay? Uh, so this is the sociologist Jonathan Haidt, who used to be over here at UVA. He, he left us. But he says, surveys have long shown that religious believers in the United States are happier, healthier, longer-lived, more generous to charity to each other uh, and to each other than are secular people. And most of those effects have been documented in Europe as well. So you are living in an unprecedented time in Christian history where the church has historically always been at a stalemate or on the rise. But at least in our country, it's on the decline right now in this particular moment. And so I usually try to be like really personal in my messages. But for whatever reason, this week, I decided to take this kind of like comprehensive scientific uh, uh, kind of approach. And uh, the reason is that I, I want to make an appeal to, to uh, the people around us who, who have a little bit more of a secular mindset or maybe they're not already so invested in this good thing that we've got going on. And what I want to communicate is this, that your life and your community are better when you are connected to Jesus and His good people. Now, I think we have a pretty good thing going on here at Manly Memorial, all right? Wouldn't you say so? Come on, let's see, like, are you, this is a good thing, right? And uh, I dare say that most of you were not drugged here this morning, that you wanted to be here because this is something that is meaningful and helpful for you. Something life-giving and awesome for you. But in an age when people are fading away from church and substantive, like real faith, my question for you this morning is this. How can you help others discover or rediscover Jesus and His good people? What are some practical things that the Bible shows you that help you help others reconnect with this incredibly life This is a very important question to ask because actually a lot of Christians have actually think, made things worse, not better, trying to tell folks about Jesus. Can I get an amen for that one? My goodness. All right. In fact, part of this current decline in Christianity is actually a direct consequence of precisely that thing. Okay. People so turned off by this coercive, manipulative, pushy stuff. So if you're like me, you're resolutely determined to never stand on a street corner and just rage, you know, about hellfire and damnation. Right? How can you help others discover or rediscover Jesus and his good people? So I'm going to show you a snippet of, of a moment when Paul led the first European ever to Jesus. All right? And um, this comes from the book of Acts in chapter 16, and it begins in verse 13. It says this, On the Sabbath we went outside, to the, outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of uh, Thyatira, 
who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Thanks be to God for that uh, very good word this morning. Uh, so I really want to drill down and bring your attention to verse 14 of that text right there. If you have your Bible, you can pull it up. It uh, should be back up on the screen. So uh, she was a worshiper of God. In every Jewish synagogue across the Roman Empire, okay, there would be lots and lots and lots of these things called God worshipers or God hearers. Okay? And uh, these, uh, that, that's an actual term. That's, you, you might kind of gloss right by it, but for them that was an actual term. These were uh, uh, non-Jewish people, Gentiles, who found Judaism very, very attractive and magnetic, okay? They, they love this idea of just this one single God as opposed to, like, paganism, right? They love that idea, and they love how this God expected one another to, like, actually treat one another right, okay? Actually be good people to one another. They love that. And um, God was just really at work in these synagogues, and because of that, Non-Jewish people really wanted to uh, participate, but the Gentile worshipers of the one true God, the problem is they were a little lukewarm about some of the rules in the Bible. All right? Like a lot of these men, the, the circumcision thing, like, that just wasn't going to happen. You know? Like, I'll follow you so far, but I'm not doing that. Right? And maybe some of the kosher foods, like, I, I'm not giving up bacon. It ain't happening. Right? And so there were all these things that, yes, I'm going to come worship God. Yes, I'm going to come study the Bible with you. Yes, I'm going to learn about God's Word, and I'm going to do the best that I can. Uh, but I'm not going to become a full-fledged Jew. And so those people were called God-worshippers, God-hearers. But there's a huge, huge problem with that situation. Uh, you have these synagogues. They're dotted all over the, the Roman Empire. All these Gentiles who want to worship God, serve God, love one another... Okay, but they're always going to be second-class citizens in these faith communities. Okay, they're always going to be second-class citizens. They were, they were, they were never going to be given equal respect, equal membership, equal value in these Jewish community, in these Jewish synagogues, even though they were really uh, uh, magnetizing and, and they were worshiping God. And so Paul had a message for these communities of people. That God has sent the Messiah, okay? But the great surprise was that it was a crucified Messiah. And the good news of the Gospel was that in Jesus Christ, okay, the Kingdom of God was fully, 100%, no holds barred, available to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've been through, what you've done, where you're coming from. That in Jesus Christ, there are no second-class citizens. A great little text. If you read Ephesians chapter 2, there's a great little tidbit about that. Paul would go to these synagogues with the intention to convert everybody. He wanted all the Jews and worshipers of God there to confess that Jesus was the Messiah, the resurrected Lord, the first fruits of the new uh, resurrected creation. And of course, uh, it's debatable just how many Jews were willing to just completely drop their religion and, and go for the toe conference. But it seems, historically, 
and it's it doesn't it's not brain science, rocket science. Like the, the those God worshippers, those God fearers, in droves love that good news. They 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 they, they just drank it up. That finally God was doing a thing where all of us matter equally. And so usually these groups of uh, these God worshipers and the Jews who had kind of converted to, to, to what Paul was talking about, uh, ultimately that synagogue would brand them as heretics and kindly show them the door of the synagogue. And probably they had already been uh, eating in the homes of the Lydia's the day after the Sabbath on Sunday. Okay. And so eventually that would become their church. That would become their new community of worship. Okay, they would create alternative communities of faith in the one true God centered around this crucified Messiah. And from there, more and more slaves and women and disinherited people would be magnetized to this community where everybody matters just as much. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you have hard questions about these Old Testament passages. It was this flexible non-legalistic community where you were going to be loved and respected and honored for who you are so that you could worship God just as you are instead of pretending to be somebody else. So for time's sake, I'm going to distill a very complex thing into something overly simple. Please forgive me. This is what Paul was doing on his missionary trips. Okay? Number one, Paul was go, entered into these communities, usually synagogues. Number two, he established common ground with people. And number three, he showed them that the resurrected Lord Jesus had knocked down the barriers standing in the way of their love and their faith. All right, so let me explain all of that. It's very overly uh, simplified thing. So, so my heart's desire is to, is, to, is to do that, to just kind of translate that biblical model of evangelism into something that is useful, doable for you and I. Um, since I was, bad, I was baptized in a church that just really pushed all this evangelism, witnessing stuff, in high school there was this really high pressure. You've got you to gotta save as many souls right, as you possibly can before the ship goes down. And so I have done just really stupid things. Okay? Uh, uh, st stupid things to try and uh, uh, manipulate people, to, to push people towards church and to Jesus. And uh, so I think there, we, we have to have these kind of conversations to right the ship and so help us do the right thing. And so here's what I, how I want you to think about these three steps. All right? This is how you can help people in this world rediscover Jesus and His good people. All right? The first thing is this. Paul entered into communities, all right? And for the most part, those were the synagogues, but you can sometimes read about Paul going into the marketplace. And what was he doing? He was hanging out. He was eating pulled pork barbecue with people, right? He was having fun. He was, he was reasoning with people. He was having good conversations with good people. And so I want, to, I want you to stop for a moment, and I want you to imagine, this is like, you're going to like, what are you talking about? Just stop for a moment. Imagine if you're in your home, there was not one single screen in it. No TV, no phone, no uh, computer, no tablet, no nothing. What would you do with your life? What would you do with your evenings? 
or your, your weekends. It's, it's actually, uh, uh, it's, it's, I, I can tell you what you would do because people used to do that. There was a time where there were no screens at home. And um, what did they do? Well, on uh, Tuesday evening, they might go bowling with friends, right? On a Thursday evening, they might go to some kind of um, a church committee meeting, all right? They might go to some kind of uh, uh, meeting to organize some kind of community event, some kind of fundraiser for this, whatever it is. Uh, they would go out and watch ball games, peewee football. Um, they would go watch Little League baseball. They would go to VMI and watch whatever they, you know, all these great things they have going on there. So um, they were not really like sitting on their couch looking at the, this blank spot on their wall and wishing that there would be a TV there so they could watch you know, reruns of Seinfeld. So if you're holding up in your house, you're not doing the thing that the Apostle Paul was doing. That is not the life that he's in, at least not until he was put under house arrest and he wrote all those great prison epistles. So I want to challenge you, okay, in your life to enter into the things that are going on in this world. You know, just go out there and, and just enjoy these great things going on. Find something that is meaningful or fun or interesting to you. All right? Or maybe just come watch some kids play ball. I mean, they, they need your support, right? I mean, there's just so many wonderful ways that you can spend your free time in this life. Build relationships around things that are interesting to you. Go do life with people. All right, the second thing that Paul did was that he would find common ground with people. Okay, Paul didn't just come out of left field with some concern that didn't already pre-exist for people. I've mentioned before uh, a long time ago, one of my favorite uh, books is a book called Life's Too Short to Pretend You're Not Religious. This is the way God has wired everybody. God wired every single human being on the face of the planet to uh, desire and crave and seek and need meaning and purpose and transcendence and wonder and awe and worship and connection and belonging with one another. Okay, All of us are that way. On a Sunday morning, everybody is worshiping something, no matter whether you're in church or not. You know that old Bob Dylan song, you got to serve somebody. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. So Paul went to where people were, and he met them in these communities, and he found common ground with them. He said, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from. And let me tell you what I learned, what I felt, what I encountered, how I was changed for the better. Paul found common ground with folks in the community, people that were so like him. I mean, he's going to synagogues. He had been a Jewish rabbi for years. These were his people. They spoke the same language. You know what I'm saying? Every single human heart wants to be good. Every single human heart wants to be connected once again to their Creator God. Every single human heart wants to do the right thing. Wants to live a loving, peaceful, faithful life. But all of that requires a lot of vulnerability and risk. And it's scary and it's hard. And so time and time again, we miss the mark. We choose the path 
of fear and isolation and rebellion and anger and selfishness, the path of sin, so that we can protect ourselves. But underneath that crusty layer of sin, every single human being just wants to do the right thing. They want to be connected to a compassionate God and God's compassionate people. And that's precisely the good news that is in Jesus Christ. That in Jesus Christ, you can live a life that is once again fully connected to God and to neighbor. In Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven is available to you and to the whole world. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, black or white. It doesn't matter who you vote for, whether you pull for the Hokies or the Wahoos or whatever it is. It just doesn't matter. There are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. There are no second-class families in God's kingdom, if you will recall. There are no hoops you have to jump through. There are no crazy rules that you have to follow. Jesus is creating an alternative community, a beloved community, where you are free from the chains of trying to keep up with the Joneses, and the chains of legalistic religion. Because all you have to do, you just have to do this one thing. You have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead. That's the ticket. See, what Paul was telling Lydia and everybody that he met was that you, you get to be a part of this thing. Not that you have to. It's not like... Like, like, my goodness, you better do this or else, okay? You get to be a part of God's alternative, beloved community, God's kingdom on earth. And that is the same message that you and I carry with us today, okay? We get to connect people in this world and find common ground with them and tell them the good news that Jesus has made it possible for them to come back to God and come back to neighbor in the way that their heart was created for. And in my own spiritual journey, I've gone from being that kid who would walk up to strangers and try to convince them that they were going to hell if they didn't pray a prayer with me. To this idea that actually the call upon us is to cultivate this thing that God has handed to us. Okay, To be good stewards of this alternative, spiritual, beloved community, all right, the local church, to create a community where we make the choice we're going to care for one another. That's what we're here to do. Truly take care of one another. To be God's love and light to one another. And worship and learn from God together. And then just draw people into it. Because what I see happen is this. When people experience the love of God in the flesh, when they experience the belonging of God's alternative community, belief is almost inevitable to follow. Belonging before belief. And so there you have it, all right? This week, a challenge for you really is I want you to think about three things today and this week. All right? You might be, uh, maybe one of them is kind of your growth area. Maybe all three. First one is this. I want you to show up. Okay? 
how can you spend less time insulated from the world and more time plugged into it? Show up. Number two is this, find common ground. How can you get to know people? Okay, The people that you sit with at baseball games or, or that you go and play cards with, how can you get to know them just a little bit deeper? How can you share your heart just a little bit more and, and in so doing, invite them to do the same? Find common ground. The third thing is this, bring them to church. Okay. This church is a safe place to bring people who have been hurt by religion, who maybe have tough questions. All right? This is a place that takes you just as you are and thank God for it. I don't want to say, can I get an amen again? Because that's just like desperate. Um, but boy, do I believe that. Uh, so this Saturday evening, in six days, we're going to just make it blank. Yeah. This Saturday evening, we're hosting Parents Night Out, okay? And uh, a lot of, of you know some parents who are outside of church, right? But they need that help. They need that support. So tell them about Parents Night Out, okay? Next Sunday's Blessing of the Backpacks. Bring those parents here so we can celebrate and come alongside them in this tough journey. The Sunday after that, we're going to start a new sermon series um, called "On Purpose," and we're going to we're going to we're going to look at the story of Moses, and uh, we're going to Moses is going to be our guide uh, to to find how we can find God's purpose for our next season of life. And so, if you know someone who's really confused about what's their next 